Good morning, church family. Uh, if you could please open your Bibles to the book of Colossians. Uh, my name is Brett Parker, and I have the honor of reading our scripture this morning uh, from Colossians chapter 2, uh, verses 16 through 23. Um, these words came to us recorded by human hands under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, and therefore they come today to us as the very word of God. So let's ready hearts to hear together the word of our Lord from Colossians chapter 2, verse 16 through 23. Therefore, let no one pass judgment on you in question of food and drink, or with regard to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath. These are a shadow of the things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. Let no one disqualify you, insisting on aestheticism and worship of angels, going on in detail about visions, puffed up without reason by his sensuous mind, and not holding fast to the head, from whom the whole body, nourished and knit together through its joints and ligaments, grows with the growth that is from God. If with Christ you died to the elemental spirits of the world, why, as if you were still alive in the world, do you submit to regulations? Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch, referring to things that all perish as they are used according to human precepts and teachings. These have indeed an appearance of wisdom in promoting self-made religion and aestheticism and severity to the body, but they are of no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. This is the word of the Lord. Well, good morning, everybody. It's great to see you all on this uh, wonderful fall morning. We had... Uh, we had a race going on earlier. I don't know if it's still going on, but you made it. So if you avoided Piedmont or went like way around, maybe you were here, maybe it's the 11, just so you know. It's not the nine if you were really late, um, but we're glad you're here. Hey, I'm, uh, I'm, I'm glad to get to teach this passage to you this morning. Um, we are, every Monday, we do this teaching meeting here at the church and we do it in this conference room right over here. And so anybody who's preaching or teaching that week will take their passage. And, uh, and so we, then like, we talk about it. Uh, and so we get this kind of 360 degree feedback. Uh, and so we, like if I'm teaching, uh, if I'm preaching on a Tuesday night, then I talk about that. Jason's preaching on a Sunday morning, we talk about that. Jeremy with college and so on and so forth. So when we got to uh, the passage this morning that Brad just read, second, or Colossians 2, 16 through 23, we read it, and, uh, and then it was kind of quiet, and everybody kind of looked around, and, uh, and then we just started kind of laughing a little bit, uh, because what came to mind was 2 Peter three sixteen, where Peter talks about Paul, and Peter says of Paul, as he does in all his letters when he speaks in them of these matters, there are some things in them that are hard to understand. And so we were like, all right, great. And uh, Jason's like, yeah, I'll be at another church preaching to them Sunday, so go get them. Um, and Josh Yusuf, who's right over here, was supposed to be preaching today, but he switched with me. So thanks, Josh. Um, no, actually, we, we are going through this book of Colossians, and I really appreciate that um, about so much of the ministries here at Christ's Covenant. We teach through books a lot of times. Um, it's not so much like... Every week it's this new topical idea, the flavor of the month. And sometimes we do have topics and those are necessary, but most of the time we're going to be teaching through a book, everything from children's ministry all the way through Sunday morning. And so what happens when you teach through a book is you get to a section like this that takes a little bit more looking, a little bit more explaining, but what you're getting is a better picture of the whole. 
And it's a better picture of the whole of the narrative of, of Scripture. So as we get into uh, Colossians chapter 2, 16 through 23, let me just pray that the Holy Spirit will minister to us through his word. Father, we do ask that your spirit would minister to us through your word. That Lord, as Paul said, Lord, that we not come with, um, with wisdom um, and strong persuasiveness, but that we come in the power of the Holy Spirit. And Lord, we just ask that you would do a work. And at the end of the day, you would let us see that Jesus is enough and that he is not to be diluted or added to. So we lift this up in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, so here, here we are. Let, let's just take a look at Colossians 2, 16 through 23. It's been a few weeks. We took a little break from Colossians um, as we went through our Bless the City emphasis. And so we're back in Colossians, and the plan is to finish this book. Um, so let's just take a look to kind of catch us back up to speed. You know, generally, um, when you're studying the Bible uh, and you're using good hermeneutics, but also just when you're like reading anything, when you see a word like, um, like therefore, you pause and you say, okay, something else important has been stated before this leading up to this place. So he starts off and he says, therefore, which means we're supposed to know what was being said. And then he goes on and, uh, and he, he gives two different sets of instructions. And so I'll come back and explain this in a minute. But if I was to divide up these two, this, this section, it would be at the paragraph break here, um, verses 16 through, 20, through 19 and then 20 through 23. These are the two sections that Paul is going to address. And I think they're both applicable for us today as they were in a sense applicable to the folks um, in Colossae. So let me just back up and just like kind of catch you back up to speed on where we are in the book. So Paul had actually never been, the Apostle Paul, who wrote about a third of the New Testament, a third of the books in the New Testament, he, he on his missionary journeys, would stop at a town, and he would try to start a church, and then he would often write letters back to those churches to encourage them. And so that's what you get in a lot of these smaller books in the New Testament. They're letters to churches. This is a letter to a church. However, Paul had never been to Colossae. He had never been to this church. He had just heard of it. And so while he was in prison, he writes this letter. And he actually writes two letters that he sends um, to Colossae. It's this one, the letter to the Colossians, but also it's another little tiny one uh, called Philemon. And he sends both of these through a guy named Tychicus. And you can see him in, in Colossians 4, verse 7. You can see Tychicus show up. It's, and he's a great name. We should bring that name back. Um, and so like, he sends these two letters with him. And he also sends another guy who had been really... Uh, instrumental in ministering to Paul while Paul was in prison and had become a really valuable disciple, and his name is Onesimus. And so Onesimus and Tychicus go to Colossae, and they bring this letter and Philemon, and uh, Onesimus was actually a runaway slave out of the town of Colossae, and Paul writes Philemon, who is his owner, a letter asking for him to be released in the name of Christ and serve as a fellow brother in Christ. And so uh, what you see is this big picture of Paul had never been there, but he had heard good things happening. He also knew that there were some struggles that were taking place uh, in, in their lives. And so he is going to address these struggles in their lives. So let's go, let's go back to the, the, the scriptures here. Let's take a look at these two sections and then I'll show you the two struggles because it's kind of easier to draw out. I'm a visual learner. It's easier to kind of see than it might be to get it just from the reading. So section one, 
Therefore, let no one pass judgment on you in questions of, and so here's the big ideas here, in questions of food, drink, festivals, a new moon, or a Sabbath. So people are trying to pass judgment on these these new Christians on what they eat, what they drink, um, what they observe, and how they handle the Sabbath. And so he says, these are a shadow of the things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. And so this actually is the title of our message today, Substance Christ. And so let no one disqualify you, insisting on asceticism. I didn't say this at the nine, but you know what asceticism is, right? It's like, uh, it's like really this like pseudo-piety. It's showing people just how righteous you are for the sake of them seeing you as righteous. And so insisting on asceticism and worship of angels going on in detail about visions puffed up without reason by a sensuous mind. And then this to me is kind of the, the key verse in the whole passage. Verse 19, not holding fast to the head from whom the whole body nourished and knit together through its joints and ligaments grows with a growth that is from God. So this is section one. Section one is dealing with Jewish people who knew that these new Christians were following a Jewish Messiah, and so they said, well, you need to become more Jewish. And so this would be, this would be legalisms that are added to their faith. The, that's where the food, the drink, the festival, the new moon, the Sabbath comes in. So you've got these folks that are saying, great, glad you're following the Jewish Messiah. Now here's some more things you need to do in order to really be a good Christian. The second section If with Christ you died to the elemental spirits of the world. This also is a really key verse. And you see the two key verses are sandwiched in the middle of what's happening. That's not by mistake. That's a literary device inspired by the Holy Spirit. If with Christ you die to the elemental spirits of the world, why do you still, why, why, as if you were still alive in the world, do you submit to regulations? So here we see this. This this is elemental spirits of the world. Now, we've shifted from the legalism pressure that they're getting to a different kind of pressure. Verse 21, don't handle, don't taste, don't touch, uh, referring to things that all perish as they are used according to human precepts and teachings. These ha- indeed have an appearance of wisdom in promoting self-made religion and asceticism and severity to the body, but they are of no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. And I think this is going to become important as we continue on this morning, stopping the indulgence of the flesh. Now, let me just show you. I said I would draw it out for you. Okay. This, uh, okay, I've practiced. I said this earlier, and I'll say it again. Drawing a stick figure running is hard. I worked on it yesterday a little bit, and then again this morning, and it's just like I'm stuck. I'm just stuck. So bear with me. What you are about to see is a stick figure that is running. All right? Okay. Leg, leg, body, bent arm, bent arm. That's better than nine. All right, that's better. There we go. Okay. So this, is, this little stick figure is running, and this is the church in Colossae, running towards Christ. And so Paul in the first two and a half chapters of the book, continues to go back to this macro picture of who is Christ and how wonderful is Christ. Verses 15 through 20 in chapter one, I think are the most beautiful picture 
of Jesus in the New Testament rivaling Revelation chapter 5 and Revelation chapter 19. I mean, it's spectacular. The time and effort and energy through the Holy Spirit, Paul sits down to convey the magnitude, the preeminence, the glory of Jesus. And he's encouraging them, this is where you're running. You're running this way. But what happens to this church and what happens to us is all of a sudden there's real shiny detours. And so the first part of this, uh, verses 16 through 19, this would be the legalisms. And then verses 20 through 23, this would be the cultural norms. And so the second, that verses 20 through 23, Colossae was a Greco-Roman town and they had plenty of other gods. And so the pressure was, hey, Jesus is great. Why don't you just like blend him with the other gods? Just make him one of your gods. And so that's the cultural norm of the day. And this, folks, happens to us all the time. We are running the race towards Jesus and we are enamored by him and captivated by him. And we would lay down anything for him. And then all of a sudden, these big shiny distractions start popping up from people that for some reason we're really interested in listening to. And so that's where this is taking, that's where Paul is taking us. But to do that, he continues to bring us back to the person of Christ. I mean, we'll go back and I'll just show you. you. You look at the heart of this passage, verses 19 and 20. If not holding fast to the head from whom the whole body nourished and knit together through its joints and ligaments grows with a growth that is from God, if with Christ you died. And so he says, look, it's Jesus who is the head and he gives all the nourishment and all the growth. It's Jesus that you need. It's Jesus who is ultimate. That is who your focus is. And if you died with Christ, like he's reminding them, what's he doing? He's reminding them of who Jesus is and what is the gospel. And so you, you would think that Paul, if he knew there's a group of Christians that were tempted to get into legalisms, rules that God has not said you have to follow in order to be a follower of Jesus, or a group of Christians that were tempted to blend their faith in with the cultural norms, why doesn't he just start the book by saying, hey, stop it? I mean, Maybe, like, I don't know. He was in prison when he wrote it. Um, like, he maybe he had a lot of extra time, I'm assuming. Um, he, like, I don't know. Maybe there was extra paper in prison. Uh, and so he's just like, I'll just write some real flowery stuff, and then we'll get to it. I don't think that's what he's doing. I think it's actually a quote that C.S. Lewis used from another preacher. And uh, the quote is this. Sometimes the longest way around is the shortest way home. I think Paul's doing something here. He knows that there's issues in this church. And he could start off by saying, I know the issues, let's address them. Time is short. I gotta get back to kitchen duty in prison or whatever. Like he could just like, let's just, let's just cut to the chase and deal with this. But he knows that maybe, maybe the shortest way home, which is where he wants to take them, is the longest way around. And he needs to show them They've got to remember Jesus. They've got to remember the gospel. Otherwise, everything else falls apart. Let me just take you to 
the, the passage that I was mentioning in Colossians 1 that we, we, uh, we heard preached on a few weeks ago. Colossians 1, I mean, it's incredible. If you try highlighting it, it'll like, it, I mean, I'll just kind of show you what happens, but he is the image. This whole thing is about Jesus. He, Jesus, is the image of the invisible God. He's the firstborn of all creation. By him, all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible, invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. I mean, you insert there, uh, world leaders, bosses, parents, kids, I mean, your neighbor, everybody, whether everything was made by him, uh, dominions, rulers, authorities, all things were created through him and for him. He is before all things in him. I love this. In him, all things hold together. Take that physics class. In him, all things hold together. It was a joke. Uh, (laughs) And he is the head of the body, the church. He's the beginning, the firstborn from the dead. I mean, you see that I've stopped highlighting because when you start, or stopped underlining, because when you actually start to, to look at this, it's like the whole thing just needs to be highlighted and committed to memory because this is so big and so important. For in him, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. And th- I mean, you could just think about that the rest of the week and not get to the bottom of it. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. I divided this up, and I listed out the categories. The image of God, the firstborn, the creator, all authority, holds all things together, the head of the church, the beginning, the firstborn of the dead, the preeminent, the reconciler, the peacemaker. In short, Someone we would never, should never be bored with. Someone that we should always be amazed at. Do you realize that every song we sang as we started to worship this morning, the call to worship, all of it was not pointing us to the little things in our lives. All of it was pointing us back to the one that we were called to run to in the first place. Paul knows there's issues in the church but through the wisdom of the Holy Spirit, he knows to fix the issues. We've got to get our eyes off of ourselves and off of this thing happening around us and back to Jesus. So I, I, I just, I'll, I'll pause right here. Uh, I don't want to lose any of you, but I think that a lot of times when we come to church, and I, I, am, I do this all the time, a lot of times when we come to church, What we really want is to hear a specific word about something happening in my life at this moment. That's what I really want. And it can can be a little bit frustrating when you see a big passage like like we're looking at today and you say, "Where, where is that specific word about me? Because the heart of this passage, verses 19 and 20, is pointing me back to Jesus. But what I would say to you is this. I think if you were to crudely divide the Bible into two parts, I think what you would see is that the majority of the Bible is all in macro form. 
And I think what you would see is that some of the Bible is in micro. And what I mean by that is the macro takes us back to who is God. What is he up to? Who is this Jesus? What is he about? What does the, the Trinity do as, as it moves and, and changes and shapes and is drawing all things unto himself? But what we have trained ourselves to do is to be consumed with the micro, my little life that the Bible calls a breath. And so Paul knows this. This is not a new human condition. And so he is drawing the people back to look to Jesus, then to sort out their issues. Uh, let me just, let, let me give you um, uh, maybe just a, an example of this. Um, okay, macro, micro. I recently, um, I won a set of irons and so, like, tomorrow, I have an appointment to go to the Mizuno store at Truist, and I'm going to be fitted for these irons. Like, it's a full set. It's a very expensive set of irons that I won. Now, I won them at a golf tournament in a raffle, not because I was a good golfer. <laughs> Through a ticket that someone gave me because they were leaving, <laughs> who was at the 9 a.m., and I had not told until he heard this story. <laughs> uh, and so, but anyway... I, uh, I got this, I got this, and I, anyway, that's another story. I will stay focused. But uh, tomorrow I'll go, and I'm sure that everybody who was around me that saw that I won those was like, of course, the worst golfer in our group would win those clubs. So when I go tomorrow, they are going to, I'm sure, have me swing the clubs, which will be terrible, and it'll be a lesson in humility for me. Um, so I will swing these irons in front of this person fitting me. They'll probably call all their friends over to watch this terrible like swing that I have. And so I'll do this whole process. Now, what could happen is I could get hyper-focused on these irons. I could really, really like get into this. I could spend hours, like watch out Top Golf. Um, like I could spend hours there at the Bobby Jones driving range just working on these irons. And, and probably I could get decent. I don't know that I could ever get great, but I could probably get decent at swinging these irons. Now, let's say I take that, my focus on just using the irons, and, and I start playing an actual 18-hole round of golf. And then I play this round, and I judge the whole experience based on how I hit these irons. Do you know what? I, I've just like committed the Mark Twain, a good walk ruined. Like I've just, what, what happened is I will have missed the big picture of golf. And you know the big picture of golf. I mean, it was like desert or it was woods. And then they call in an architect and they call in engineers and they call in construction and they have all this incredible equipment and brains and money and time and they sculpt this land. 
didn't, wasn't used for anything. They sculpt this land, very like Genesis, like very like, like subdue the earth. Like they sculpt it and make it beautiful and incredible. And it becomes this 18 hole journey. There's even like a, a cart that drives by with food and stuff in it. There's like a house that you can go to that has like other sports things playing. Some of you even get to call it work, right? Like I'm working today with my clients. Like, I mean, it because, like, if I just boil it down to these irons, it's, it's a way for this incredible experience to become really frustrating. And that is what so much of Christianity becomes when we focus on God, give me a word for me and show me about this thing. And I start, I, if it all becomes about me, the micro. Man, what a frustrating experience. And that's why Paul is drawing these people back to the macro. Remember, remember to hold fast to the head, which is Jesus, whom the whole body nourished and knit together through its joints and ligaments grows with a growth that is from God. And remember that you died with Christ. Remember Jesus and remember the gospel. Uh, you know, in verse 19, he actually is, uh, he's actually referring back to that poem that he wrote. Verse 19, he's actually referring back to verse 18. He continues all throughout the book, actually, to bring people back to the poem that he wrote in Colossians 1, 15 through 20. Because he knows none of the micro instructions he's going to give these Christians will do any good without their heart being devoted to the macro picture, which is Jesus. Look at verse 18. He says, and he is the head of the body of the church. He's the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. With this church having its two battles for, uh, for its attention, Paul's drawing them back to say, remember, he is preeminent above all else. Uh, you actually know more about this church, by the way, than you may realize, um, if you've got a little bit of Bible knowledge, because uh, in Revelation chapter 3, there's a church that's mentioned, the church of Laodicea, and that's the church where it's probably one of the two most famous uh, addresses to churches in uh, Revelation where the seven churches are addressed. And this is the one where Jesus says, I know your works, I know your deeds, that you are neither hot nor cold. And I wish that you were one or the other, but instead you are lukewarm and I will spew you out of my mouth. Well, the reason you know more about this church than you think you do is because this is the church that was cold. Now, before you say, oh, it's bad to be cold, um, no, Jesus was saying, I wish that you were either hot or either cold, and both were actually good. Because Colossae was known, among other things, as a town that produced really good wool. And the only way you can produce really good wool is if you have sheep, and the only way you can have sheep is if you can feed them and water them. And Colossae was a town that was known to have this incredible stream of cold water that flowed out of a mountain right into the town. That cold water was known all around as a place of refreshing when Jesus addresses Laodicea in Revelation, 
He's alluding to the fact that this church in Colossae was a church that was refreshing other folks, folks that were torn in that syncretic world of, of blending Jesus with other gods and, and folks that were, were trying to, to add legalisms to the faith. The, the true people that were following Jesus, the true Christians, they were becoming refreshment. And Paul has a hint that this is going to happen with them, and so that's why he is encouraging But that's also why, instead of addressing a specific issue in their life, he spends two and a half chapters reminding them of the glory of the gospel and the glory of the person of Jesus. Uh, In Colossians uh, 2.23, it says, They indeed have an appearance of wisdom, promoting self-made religion and asceticism and severity to the body, but they are of no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. And you know what? That's, That's often what we want when we come to church is give me a word that will stop the indulgence of my flesh. Give me a word that'll put me on the right path. And Paul says, fill your life with syncretism, blend Jesus with the world, the flesh is going to keep going. Fill your life with extra rules. The flesh is going to keep going. But his desire is that the whole church would hold fast to the head of Jesus and be nourished and grown up in him. And then it's amazing. That's macro. But it's amazing what, the, what happens in the micro when the nourishment of Christ is flowing in us, his body. Sin can't live in that. Paul says, uh, as far as like, uh, as far as like, what his overall goal for him, which would be for all the churches, he says it, and I say this in almost every sermon because I love this verse so much. If I get another tattoo, maybe this is maybe I'll get like this one tattooed. Um, not much for script though, so probably not. But Philippians three eight says this. Paul says, considering everything a loss compared to the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. Paul knows. And look, this can't be, it can't be overstated. Like we cannot say this enough. If you want the micro parts of your life to get fixed, it's time to look at the macro of who God is and remember Jesus and remember the gospel and hold fast to the head. Uh, I, I think that we will get, as we continue in this book, to some specific, what, what we would call the mortification of sin. That's the micro. But it's going to take two and a half chapters. It's not until chapter three, partway through, that we get to specifics. And honestly, the specifics are like really short. He spends like two verses on all of marriage. Because the assumption is, if you get the gospel right, you'll probably get marriage right. So he keeps drawing us back to the gospel. But... I think what kills the work of the gospel quicker than anything else is maybe leaving behind the opinion of God for the approval of man. And it's so easy. You can see how how this this would would happen so easy. You're running towards Jesus, and all of a sudden, people you really, really look up to, maybe they want you to blend some of your faith with the cultural norms, or maybe they want you to, uh, to, to add some things to your faith, and then you'll really be a Christian. And it's, it's distracting, and it actually 
confuses the micro that we're trying to get sorted out. I'll give you an example. Um, there's a lady who actually has been like a real stumbling block, especially for a lot of men um, and just Western civilization for the last uh, probably 15 years or so. And her name is Kat Von D. And she's, she's done a lot of bad things. But recently I was, I was looking through social media and somebody had posted a reel of her baptism. And I was like, is this like a publicity stunt? What is this woman trying to do? Whose attention is she trying to get? And uh, well, she got mine because I've watched the whole thing. And like I, I, I turned the audio on. And I was like, this looks like a, like a little Baptist church. And I listened to the pastor's words as he baptized her. And I was like, this sounds orthodox. What is happening? I was judging this woman's profession of faith and the church that she stepped into because she didn't meet all of my requirements. I was the people that Paul is writing about. And then I, so I followed this, Heather and I, my wife, we followed this for the last few weeks and stuff keeps getting posted. And now she has responded a few times and she said when she posted her baptism that, uh, that she was prepared for the athe- her atheist friends to attack her. But that's actually not what happened. She said it was the Christians that attacked her. And they started this legalism path, verses 16 through 19. They essentially said, Kat, if you were really a Christian, you would know that you now need to delete all your old Instagram posts. Uh, you need to do this. You need to do that. These tattoos are too much. You need to, and all these things. And y'all, I, I, what Paul's talking about here is not dead. We, we, we like to, we, we, we tell people we, we want to help you stop the indulgence of the flesh, but sometimes we just give them another diet from which their flesh can consume that isn't Jesus. And so I'm sorry for some of you that I I may have treated this way where I'm like, let me judge you by my standard of faith versus the holiness of God and the love of Jesus and the grace that he bestows upon anyone who is willing to come to him and die. Uh, I mean, Look, I, I, I just think I have several illustrations here, but for the sake of time, I'll just give one. I think sometimes that we think because we listen to the briefing every morning and we spend like 30 minutes reading our Bible and we listen to ODR, that like we're this good Christian and other people want to come to Christ because of that. They don't. That's not like a super appealing brand of evangelism. Like be as disciplined as me. And sometimes what it screams is like, and be as boring as me. I think the reason we maybe listen to the briefing and the reason we read our Bible for 30 minutes, maybe we go do the ODR and we, we come to church and, and we do all these things is to overflow with Christ and be filled with him that we might be that church like Colossae was going to be, that church that was refreshing to the world. Paul goes on, and and in this book, in in chapter 3, verse 4, which is next week's sermon, he says that Jesus is your life. And so if you want a micro-application, here's a micro-application to the believers. We should be kind to those who are new and following Christ. 
We should, we should help them learn to walk with Jesus and not teach them Christian virtue signaling. We, maybe they don't know all the rules. And maybe we need to unlearn some of the rules because they're legalisms that we've added. And maybe we need to all get re-enamored with the person of Jesus. Let's teach people to know the Lord. Like Paul said in Philippians 3.8, above all else, that is my desire to know the Lord. And it's amazing how then we can take people to the word and show them what does God say about this micro thing happening to you in light of the macro of who he is in all his glory. I mean, think about it. Next week, next Tuesday, Halloween, um, you know, we will still have young adults. It'll be, it'll be spooky. Um, it'll be amazing. But like next Tuesday night, Halloween, and you know, Halloween means a lot of things to a lot of people. But one of the things that helps us do is helps us remember Reformation Day. It helps us remember uh, Luther nailing the 95 theses to the church in Wittenberg. Like it helps us remember that. Why did Luther nail the theses to the church? Because there was a bunch of micro problems? No, because the macro was all out of whack. People had lost who Jesus is and how to know him and how to see him in the scriptures. And Luther said, this has got to stop. And by the way, when this stops, the micro will get itself worked out. I mean, what we see is this, 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 whole, this whole idea of the macro is the story of the Bible. It's the creation, the fall, the redemption, the consummation. Uh, I mean, there are, there are books like J.I. Packer's Knowing God where he could have addressed a bunch of little micro things in our lives. It could have been one more book on one more subject that you could have picked up. Just take the name of Jesus out, call it self-help, and let it be a day. But instead, he said, let's write a book on knowing the Lord. And do you know how that book starts? It's just a modern-day classic. It starts with, with Luther telling, or Luther, <laughs> nope, Packer. Luther didn't write that book. He's dead. Um, <laughs> Packer wrote that book. And so when Packer tells this, tells this story at the very beginning where he's walking with this professor who had been, um, who had been like, uh, refused a job at the university, refused tenure that he should have gotten because some other folks attacked him and attacked his reputation. And so Packard is kind of like trying to get a rise out of this guy. And he's like, well, aren't you mad at them? Aren't you frustrated? Aren't you? And do you know, because these are all like micro things that happen in all of our lives. And do you know what the man's response was? He said, no, because I have known God. Isn't it amazing? Someone could walk through the fire and the fire burned them. And someone say, doesn't that frustrate you? And the only way it can't is if you say, no, because I have known God. And there's a wealth wrapped up in that little statement. I mean, half the counseling I do is primarily with young adults. So it's, it's um, a lot of work-related, a lot of relationship, a lot of family kinds of things. But half the counseling I do is to get people to stop asking Jesus to follow them and them to follow Jesus, meaning to take their eyes off the micro and this God owes me idea and to turn our eyes to the glorious Savior that we sing about and cling to. We ask people, are you reading your Bible? And that's a great question, but maybe a better question is, are you reading it right with God as the center and me as a little tiny supporting actor? 
So here's what we're going to do. As we go and we, we look at this verse 19 one more time, I want us to ask, is there anything else that we're holding fast to other than Jesus, who is the head? Is there anything else that's nourishing our body? Are we so wrapped up in something else that we've, we've choked out the nourishment of Christ and the life that is within Christ that we're supposed to have? We certainly want to stop the indulgence of the flesh, but the way we stop the indulgence of the flesh is sometimes like that quote, it's the longest way around to get home. And so let's, let's leave some of the micro and go to the macro. And let's search our hearts and ask, has Jesus lost some of his shine? Has he lost some of his splendor? Has he lost some of his preeminence? Have our hearts become numb? Let's leave the micro. Let's ask the Lord to rekindle this fire in us, this wonder in us, this passion in us for the person of Jesus. Let us seek to know him and remember the gospel. Colossians 1.19 says, For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. So our deacons are going to come through, and they're going to start to pass out communion in just a second. And we're going to sing we're going to have this, this kind of seamless transition between this passage and making Jesus, realizing Jesus is the head, the fullness of God. And as we sing and as the elements are passed, if you're not a follower of Jesus, I ask that you would not take the elements. But also, in light of today's passage, if there's something you're holding on to, some indulgence of the flesh, that you'd rather have more than Jesus. That's unrepentant sin, and I would ask that you would also let the elements pass by. But if you are willing, if you are brave, as we stand and as we sing, would you take the elements and would you say, Jesus, when I don't have the strength, you do. May you be my all, and may I be enamored by you. Would you capture, recapture my imagination and my attention? Pray with me. Father, as we come to the table, as the elements are passed, as we hold them in our hands and wait to take them together with kind of bated breath as we sing to you, Lord, Lord, would you recapture our imagination? Would we remember the gospel if we have died with Christ? Would we not hold fast to anything other than Jesus the head? And may we be nourished by him and knit together. Lord, would you draw us to yourself? And in doing so, Father, by your mercy, would you take care of those micro things in life? It's in Jesus' name I pray, Lord. Amen. Amen.